Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. The Brooks is open in Overton Park, home to Memphis art collection since 1916. The Memphis Brooks Museum of Art holds the largest collection of world art in the region, with more than 10,000 works spanning 5,000 years of art and cultures. Remember, every Wednesday is free and open until 8 p.m. They are a proud sponsor of WYXR. For more information about the museum and their exhibitions, visit brooksmuseum.org. You belong at the Brooks. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm the host, Emily Trenum. And this week, my guest is Camp Conrad from Commercial Advisors. And we're going to be talking about industrial real estate, which is incredibly important in Memphis, maybe the least sexy sector of real estate. No offense, Kemp, um, but uh, incredibly important to the Memphis economy. I've been wanting to do a show on it for a while. So welcome to Memphis Metropolis. Thank you. Yeah, if it were sexy, I wouldn't be in it. So, so, um, so, so before I we dive into the um, into industrial real estate, just uh, tell us who Commercial Advisors is. Sure. So, uh, C- Commercial Advisors. This is actually our thirtieth year in in business, and we are an alliance firm of a company called Cushman and Wakefield, which is one of the three largest global uh, commercial real estate firms. And um, we really focus on, um, you know, office, industrial and retail real estate, representing both uh, occupiers of real estate and also the owners or the landlords that, uh, you know, that rent real estate to the occupiers. Uh, And also we have a capital markets platform. So focusing on, uh, selling, um, you know, investment income producing uh, commercial real estate properties. Uh, we also have a full service, uh, you know, property management and, uh, and construction management group as well. So we have about 70 uh, employees here in the in the Memphis region. And as I mentioned, it's our, our 30th year in business. So it's a it's a big milestone for us. So I had um, one of your colleagues, um, Connor Walker, on um on one of my early shows, I did a show on the challenges of redeveloping church buildings. You know, when a church closes, um, sometimes it's, you know, the building's a neighborhood anchor and the underlying real estates can be more valuable than the building and sort of the challenge of that. So that was a great show from a couple of years ago. So, um, and, and so are you personally, do you represent both property owners and, or tenants, or do you specialize in one or the other? So we have a we have a four person team, and, and we really do both. So we we've got a very you know active uh, landlord representation practice, and then we also uh, represent occupiers, both those that are looking in the Memphis region, and then we have a small number of uh, larger clients that uh, in distribution and manufacturing where we basically serve as their kind of outsourced real estate department and handle their their real estate brokerage needs uh, uh, globally. Okay. So, um, so just for the layperson, um, 
help let's define for us what industrial real estate is. I think people think of real estate, they think of, you know, housing, maybe a shopping center. Right. Um, so what is the industrial sector exactly? Um, like I said, as compared to those other ones. Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we kind of call them food groups sometimes. So you have like office, you know, where people work in an office, you have retail where you go to restaurants or the mall or, you know, shopping centers, things like that. Multifamily, which is apartment buildings and industrial is really, you know, think of like big, big warehouses. Um, so it's, it's warehouses where all the products that everybody gets shipped a lot now to their houses, the Amazons of the world. So it, it's really, you know, big, big warehouses and they've, and they've really become pretty sophisticated over the last, you know, five to, you know, five to 15 years. Some of these warehouses are 40 feet tall, 60 feet tall, have a lot of material handling, robotics and things like that in them. But it's really, uh, you know, warehouses, but also manufacturing facilities as well. Yeah. Which are, you know, really just a manufacturing process that's in effectively a big warehouse, uh, you know, type building. So the industrial real estate economy, the industrial real estate is such a big part of the and the and the businesses that houses, I should say, are yeah, such a big yeah. part of the Memphis economy. Is it the is the is it the biggest real estate sector? And I don't even know if it's app. I don't know if it's apples and oranges. Can you compare commercial and industrial? Yeah, well, yeah, you could compare it in terms of square footage, and then you could compare it in terms of you know what's the total, uh, you know what's the total value of all the of all that real estate. So. You know, I'll give you like, for example, in Memphis, our office market in Memphis is about 20 million square feet. The industrial market in Memphis is almost 300 million square feet. Oh, wow. Okay. And now because industrial has become a very much favored asset class for investing in, you know, you've got off, you've got industrial assets now that, you know, trade for as much as office assets or, 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 or more because, uh, the capitalization rates that investors want to pay for those are so low compared to office. So it's, it's a much bigger. Yeah. Okay. So cap- yeah, capital- capitalization yeah. rate. So, so what is, what's, can you do in lay person's terms? Um, yeah. So, so, so basically the, the cap rate is, or the capitalization rate is, um, you know, the, the lower the cap rate, the higher the value. It's it's basically the return that that an investor is is getting on uh you know on on that real estate. So a high cap rate so, means it's it's more valuable. So it's the a, other way it's around, it's a lower va- lower value. So okay, yeah. So it, so yeah. So so industrial M- Memphis really punches above its weight class as it relates to the amount of industrial. Our our industrial base is you know a lot big is is much bigger than for the population that we have here. And that's really because a lot of the distribution or logistics that are happening in Memphis, it's not just to serve the Memphis economy like you have in a lot of cities, but a lot of companies really pick Memphis for their national uh, distribution or regional uh, distribution. So that actually, I was going to ask that anyway, a related question. So I think everybody knows how that manufacturing and especially distribution are really dominate our economy. But how, what, what are the factors that made our region so, um, 
so attractive for those industries historically? I think it's, uh, you know, we're in a very central location here in Memphis. You can reach about 70% of the U.S. population in a two-day truck drive. So very centrally located. Um, one of the things that, you know, people that listen to the show might may hear a lot is Memphis is quadrimodal. So we've got, I just talked about kind of the roads, the interstate system. You got I-40, I-55. We've got the world's busiest cargo airport, obviously having FedEx here for a long time. So there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of logistics operations where they can get their product out at midnight and on an airplane and somewhere the next day. So the fact that we have FedEx here is a huge driver of that. And then the fact that we are a big rail hub, there are only two other cities in the United States that have five class one railroads. Those are the biggest railroads and that's Chicago and St. Louis. Uh, and then of course, we're the third largest inland port with the Mississippi river. So the fact that, uh, you know, people that are shipping product out of distribution centers here have all those different nodes of transportation, I think is one of those reasons. And the fact that it's just so centrally located uh, to so many uh, to, uh, to the country. Well, I was going to ask about the river because I just took a river cruise with my mother on the northern part of the Mississippi River. And of course, we're used to seeing barge traffic, but I never thought about it as much as seeing so many of them. And I was wondering if historically, if that was sort of where it all began um, with the river and then, um, you know, goods transporting up and down and then other things coming in to build upon that. No, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the first, you know, warehouses or, you know, are, 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 are now residential lofts da- downtown on South Main, right off the, uh, the cobblestone. So that, that was our first industrial market. And it kind of migrated to the Southwest market um, over by kind of Valero and that area. And then the Southeast submarket, we call it, which is the airport where the BNSF is, and then into North Mississippi and, and other areas. But yeah, it all started. The original, you know, warehouses were, you know, wooden wooden buildings where they store cotton down right off the cobblestones. So is, you know, real estate, I mean, how, how does industrial real estate come to be? Is it like, you know, retail that, you know, a developer will develop a new shopping center and then seek tenants? Um, it doesn't always work that way, but often it does. Um, or right. is it the case that, um, you know, Amazon comes to town and wants to build its own building. You hear about spec buildings in that industrial real estate sector. Just elaborate and explain that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, for, yeah, for, first of all, I'd say that, you know, the industrial market, you know, 20 years ago used to be a very local regional developer pool. And it's become very, very institutional the last five to 10 years. Uh, most people have heard of Blackstone, which is one of the big, you know, biggest you know, investment platforms out there and they call industrial their most kind of convicted asset class. They've put a lot of money into, into industrial. So it's gotten very sophisticated, very institutional. And I would say it's typically a mix of spec product, speculative product and, and more build a suit. So um, and then a lot of times a developer will, you know, have has a lot of success doing like a spec to suit. So They'll build a building that's 500,000 feet, but then they've got the ability to expand that building. And then someone might make it a million, one million five hundred thousand square feet. 
And so it's, it's really a mix. Um, right now, there's about 11 million square feet being developed in the metro. And about half of that is already spoken for. Either It's either build a suit or, it, or it's pre-leased. And just to give you a frame of reference, you know, a million square foot building is about 26 acres under roof. Wow. That's how big the, you know, some of these buildings are. Um, but Memphis has always been a, a very active uh, speculative market. Another thing that's very interesting is um, the time to lease up buildings over the last five years is about four months from completion to when a lease is signed. And that's very, very good compared to other parts of the country where it might be six months, nine months, 12 months to find a tenant. So if someone builds a building that's well-designed, well-located, they're typically going to get at least within that first six months of, of completion. Well, I was going to ask if it was if the industry was like cyclical. I mean, I think of, re, you know, certainly residential, um, especially multifamily is very cyclical. You know, it's build, 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 build. And then you got a empty, empty space and the market catches up. Is that true in industrial or is it um, less um, sort of less ups and downs? It's, it's, I'd say it's less ups and downs, but it but there, but but it, there, it definitely goes through cycles like like every other part of real estate. This what we've seen since, uh, you know, since since 2019 with COVID. This, you know, it's it's been the biggest kind of bull run in industrial that, that we've ever seen. Um, and it definitely goes in cycles. What happened in 2008, 2015. Um, and right now, candidly, it's very interesting because user demand is still very good. However, because of what's going on right now with the Fed increasing interest rates, um, it's impossible to get to get loans right now. So we're going to see development effectively dry up. Um, developers are dropping land sites, and um, but there's still a lot of user activity out there. So it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting time. Well, you mentioned that it was a very attractive for investors that sector. Why is that? Well, I, I think one reason is it's it's. Um, it's 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 very kind of easy to understand. Um, I think it's it's something where, like for example, an office tenant when an office tenant moves out of a space, it's very very expensive. The next tenant comes in, that investor's got to spend a lot of money uh, refitting the space out, totally reconfiguring the space, and you really don't have that in industrial. <clears throat> and also, it's just it's done so well over the last several years. Again, with the uh, advent of e-commerce and how that's accelerated uh, during the pandemic. Typically, these users now, when they go into industrial spaces, they're investing sometimes more money uh, into the space with robotics and material handling and power than the buildings are even worth. So these investors know that these tenants are likely not going to be leaving at the end of their lease term. They're going to stay. So it's a very predictable uh, cash flow for uh, you know, for those investors. Well, and is the, is the owner or developer making those improvements or is the tenant making those, those putting in the robotics? Yeah, it's kind of a mix. Typically within, within a, the structure of a transaction, the investor will be putting in some tenant improvement dollars. And then now though, because the, you know, a lot of these now are, they're air conditioned, they have additional power, they have a lot more office than we used to see then uh, they'll sometimes amortize additional uh, funds above that. And the tenants will also be putting money in just because 
the investment amounts have gotten so high. It used to be in the in a, in a distribution center, you'd have five employees, you know, some dock doors, dock equipment, um, and that was it. Now you might have a thousand people work in a distribution center. You'll have thirty thousand feet of office mezzanine, heavy power, air conditioning. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable the amount of investment and sophistication that are in these uh, in these facilities now these days. And you mentioned COVID. I mean, I got the impression that, you know, that industrial real estate sector has over the last few years has just done really well because people have, until until recently, because people have been sort of sitting at home shopping. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you had you, you couldn't really go to the grocery store. So, I mean, think of all the people that that, you know, started getting their groceries delivered at home and couldn't go. You know, so exactly. I mean, it really accelerated the trends that were already underway of more and more retail sales going e-commerce as opposed to uh, bricks and mortar. And a good rule of thumb is for every billion dollars of e-commerce sales, that takes about a million square feet of distribution and logistics space to service those e-commerce sales. So that's, that's why most cities like and, uh, you know, big industrial markets last year saw about 2x the, the growth of their industrial absorption over the year before. So for Memphis, we absorbed about 16 million square feet in 2021. The previous high watermark was the year before, 2028 million square feet. And that was 2 million square feet more than any other previous year. And so it was just a, a massive year for industrial take up in Memphis the country and, and most cities that have a big industrial base. So the, and I guess, you know, you, your clients, you know, you're working around the metro area, so you don't get into sort of competing with other regions, like sort of a chamber kind of, do you like other regions for, you know, for, for business? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we do in a way, cause a lot of times we're, you know, we're working on, I mean, p- part of, I mean, kind of the biggest salespeople for the region are industrial or real estate practitioners because we're working on a deal right now. It's a, you know, large, very large transaction, but they started off looking at Nashville and Atlanta and Memphis. Okay. So, you know, in that, in, in that case, in this case, we're representing the, the landlord or the owner. So before we're ever selling a building or a, you know, a sub market, we're trying to get them, here and, and why do you want to be in Memphis as opposed to Nashville or Atlanta? And then once they make that decision, then we're competing with other, you know, buildings and sites within this metro. So yeah, we, we work hand in hand with the chamber and the state, um, you know, on a lot of these projects to 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 so, so they choose the Memphis region and letting people know about uh, the incentives that are available and stuff like that. Yeah, and then as you know, candidly, the, the real driver, it's really before people, you know, real estate's really kind of the very end of the process. Um, the real issue is labor and logistics. That's about, those two things are about 90% of the cost if a company's looking to set up a distribution center. The real estate cost is probably 5 to 10%. So by logistics, logistics, by logistics, you mean the rail, the truck, the access, all of that. Okay, yeah, where we get, where's our product coming from? Where's it going to? How are we getting it in and out? All those things. That and labor. 
those are really the key drivers uh, before people start looking at real estate. Okay. So they're, they're looking at a region first, and then they start to look, okay, we want to be in the Memphis region. Do we want to be in Mississippi? Do we want to be in Memphis? What are the tax differences, the incentives differences, labor? Uh, how far are we from the FedEx hub, the BNSF? Um, all those different things. So people did pick the region and then they then they make a decision about where they want to locate within the area for the most part. Right. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly right. And then you have tax structure differences. You know, Mississippi has an income tax. Tennessee doesn't. Um, all these different differences of tax structure and, and that kind of so thing. So how is um, – I'm guessing that um, – you know, the blue oval development's going to have a big impact on, you know, the the industrial sector, with especially with, um, you know, these uh, tangent, I want to say tangents, but, you know, b- businesses that support Ford coming into the region. Wh- how does your, like, forecasting, what do you, what are you anticipating um, the impact of that to be? I imagine it would be huge. Yeah, we we do anticipate that that's gonna gonna be, uh, you know, add additional growth for for the industrial market for you know for sure. So we're the if you talk to the chamber, you know, they say they're tracking like thirty projects that are kind of related to that, um, and definitely every every week it seems like we're getting more and more calls from suppliers or vendors. We had one this week where we're working on a project now with an electrical contractor that's doing all the you know, electrical work and the fixturing for that plant. So they've got to have, you know, 50,000 square feet to ha- handle all this product that's coming in before they go install it there uh, at the facility. So we definitely think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of additional demand uh, tied to Blue Oval City. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes because on that I-40 corridor, there's a lot of land, but there's not a lot of infrastructure up there, sewer and that kind of thing. I was going so to yeah, yeah. ask about that because um, if you were working with, because um, I heard Mark Herbison speak um, this week, and he talked a lot about that, about the how this infrastructure was put in really for Ford <laughs> and, um, and not necessarily for other folks. And so do you get involved with working with these local governments to help them figure out what they're going to need? Or do they just, are they busily trying to come up with the dollars to, um, yeah, no, we, we would only do that if we were working with like a developer. Like one of the things we'll do is we bring, we'll bring land sites to developers and then help get it entitled and, and develop a plan to then build a building, to market the building to, to users. And so in, in that regard, we, we would do that. Um, but but currently not not out on that I-40 corridor. Um, there's one developer that has a speculative project underway out there. In fact, the, the first tenant they've got in their, their building out there, Helena Troy, two million square foot building, um, you know, so, which is just huge. So but I, I do think we'll see more out there, but it's going to be it's going to it could be a while now, uh, again, because the infrastructure really doesn't exist with the sewer and now just with interest rates and, you know, everything is, uh, you know, kind of, as we say, a lot of developers are kind of pencils down right now because you just can't get financing. So the demand is still there, but the, you know, banks aren't lending construction loan, uh, interest rates are very high because of the fed increasing the, 
the uh, the interest rate. So it's a very uncertain environment right now. So that's interesting. It sounds like that could slow down um, the development of these other Ford adjacent businesses, at least temporarily. Yeah, uh, correct. I mean, I, I think at least from another probably six to 12 months, we may not see any new spec- speculative development starts okay. where we've had over 10 million feet the last several years. Um, but but the vacancy rate still very low. So, you know, what I think we're going to see is a lot more upward pressure on rental rates, which means more inflation because, you know, is, is there's more scarcity and less supply, but more demand. Um, landlords are going to continue to, you know, push rents and make, you know, rents are going to keep going up. So um, it'll be we, we've got about two quarters of inventory Left, you know, out there, but we we think that's going to get you know we'll get leased up in the next couple of quarters, unless consumer confidence dries up and consumer spending um, gets so low that then the demand for space uh, dries up as well. Because you know most of GDP and industrial, it's it's for it's for some kind of consumer demand. Right. Okay. Um, so, um, I've sort of heard that in ter- from, from, in, in terms of industrial real estate, like Memphis proper Memphis city is pretty much built out. Is that the case? Yeah. yeah uh, yes and no. So one reason Mississippi really started growing so much as an industrial hub about 20 years ago is because all of the larger plots of land. And when I say that, I mean a couple hundred acres where you could come in and do a, multi-building master plan park were all developed. And so at that point of the cycle, the developers um, that, that were doing that had to go to North Mississippi. Since 2018, because of all the, um, or 2019, because of the growth in industrial we just talked about, you'd have a lot more private equity type developers who didn't necessarily want to go do a 5 million square foot business industrial park, they wanted to come in and maybe do a half million square foot building, a 250,000 square foot building. And those land plots still did exist in Memphis. And so there has, there has been a renaissance in Memphis since 2019 of some of those type buildings. Before 2019, when we brought in Robinson Weeks to do one of those buildings, there had not been a speculative building built in Memphis in over a decade. But now even those smaller tracts of land uh, have, have been built out and there aren't many there aren't many of those many of those left. So we just listed about 340 acres on the north side of town, which is that old Memphis Speedway, right. um, which, which, which is a great site. In Millington. And, uh, and, and it's actually an un- unincorporated Shelby County, okay. but it's right near Millington right there, right by the, the, the airport there, Charles Baker Airport. Um, and that, that's, you know, that, that'll be, that's the biggest, um, plot of land. I'm so sorry. It's been on the market, you know, that's been available in the last 25 years. Well, and also I feel like there's probably still land in Frazier on the North part of Frazier. Yeah, but, but not, but see up, up there, uh, up there though, you have a lot of topography. One of the reasons too, Memphis has been such a great logistics hub and our rental rates have been lower compared to other uh, cities is because our land is mostly flat and the soil is very, very good. Um, you know, for example, in Nashville, 
their rental rates are a lot higher. One reason is you've got the topography and the bedrock, and that can add 10, 15, $20 a foot to construction costs. Well, you had that issue up in Fraser and Raleigh. You've got a lot more topography up there, and it makes it very, very uh, expensive to, to develop, and it makes you uncompetitive on rental rates. I mean, I guess along those lines, you know, I've done a lot of, had a, worked many years in community development, and, you know, a lot of neighborhoods have former factories. I'm not thinking about the pretty ones like in South Maine. I'm thinking about, you know, driving up and down Chelsea. And um, can any of, is there any, and those are all relatively small. Are, are there any opportunities to repurpose those for industrial use or really, is it just waiting for the land value to come back up so they can be yeah, torn I, down? And Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, th- I think around the airport, there's a lot of kind of older, what we call you know, office properties or flex, we call them flex properties. They're kind of office industrial, but low clear height and that kind of stuff. The vacancy rate in that kind of product right now is very, very high. Uh, you know, a lot of the people that used to occupy that kind of space, a lot of that stuff got outsourced to, you know, India and China, that kind of back office stuff. So I do think that uh, as rates continue to rise here and justify the development cost, um, we'll see that kind of, uh, hopefully that property be repurposed. And again, very well located right near the airport. Um, that, that's where I think we, we can and should see, uh, you know, that, that kind of product being, being repurposed. Okay. But not necessarily in North Memphis. Um, possibly in North Memphis. Again, um, you know, the, the reason why South Memphis or the southeastern part has been where a lot of the industrial is. It's because the two big engines of our logistics economy are the airport and the BNSF intermodal. Right. And so the further you get from those, the more you're spending on the logistics and the transportation costs we talked about. Um, but up in North Memphis, you know, Amazon has cited two facilities up there. And of course, Nike has 2 million square feet up, up in that area. And one of the other benefits of Memphis is you can kind of be anywhere in 20 to 30 minutes. So even if you're there, you're still not that far from, from the airport and you're able to tap into a lot of, um, of workforce up there because so much of the North Mississippi and Southeast submarket labor is now, you know, kind of saturated and spoken for, if you will. Right. That makes sense. Um, so I guess last question, certainly in, you know, residential and well, office and commercial, there's a big, over the last 20 years or so, there's a big emphasis on, you know, green building and, you know, lead certification. And you sort of described a lot of, you know, technological advances that are happening in industrial buildings. Does that include environmental? Is there sort of, is there lead for industrial? And is that something that's important? Yeah, there is lead. Yeah, there is lead for industrial. It was very, it was a very kind of buzzy and popular, maybe five to 10 years ago, um, not so much anymore. However, I do think we're working on another project right now that's very, very ESG uh, green uh, green focused. And so we're, we're definitely seeing more, more of that. I, I think where the, really, the issue becomes where the rubber hits the road is uh, it's very expensive when you start talking about solar on roof. Well, now you've got to do a lot more steel and the price of construction, you know, has basically doubled for these buildings. And so um, when you when you start talking about that and collecting ground 
you know, rainwater for irrigation and water use. You're talking about a lot of additional site work. Um, so we're starting to see more of it, but it's these buildings have gotten so expensive anyway because of inflation and how much concrete and steel cost. When you start layering in, um, you know, ESG initiatives and, and green and sustainability, uh, people, a lot of a lot of more companies are aspiring to it. But it starts to make it where the numbers just don't pencil on being able to do a project. But I do think it's it's becoming more and more a part of the conversation. And elements of that are being incorporated in, into buildings. Well, plus the buildings are so big. I'm sure right. the incremental cost is huge. That, exactly. That's right. Okay. I mean, it can be another. So if you're talking about a million square foot building right now, this project we're working on, the ESG component could be another $20 a square foot. So you're talking $20 million, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a million square foot building. Okay. Yeah, I can. That's probably also not, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting for a minute those things are done for sort of, you know, publicity purposes, but there's probably not any sort of, not as much public benefit. Um, I mean, it's a, a lot of public benefit in terms of environmental sustainability, but I meant the sort of, um, you know, the the marketing piece. It's pro- I'm guessing people might not pay as much attention to it as they would in a new office building or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And usually these are more user driven. We don't see developers developing a spec building with, you know, again, there, there were, there were some lead buildings developed spec, uh, you know, five to 10 years ago, I think when this was gaining steam, but users wouldn't, did not want to pay a premium for them then. And so most of the more environmentally friendly industrial buildings now, they're not spec, they're more build a suit where the user is demanding and driving the ESG environmental components. Okay. Well, this is fascinating um, to me anyway. Um, that's the great thing about having a it show on, really on, on um, a nonprofit radio station is, you know, I can pursue all of my, all my esoteric interests in the built environment and no one is saying that doesn't fit our format. <laughs> so yeah. Um, You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Kemp Conrad of Commercial Advisors, and we've been doing a deep dive into industrial real estate. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Kemp. Emily, thanks for having me. Sorry about the dogs and the train background noise. Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in Crosstown Concourse. The lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.